Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. Church, we're starting a new series this month. It is entitled Heart of Worship. Worship is a topic for many that they love to preach and speak about. We hear a lot of teachings about worship. If you go to any Christian bookstore, there are countless volumes of books that address this topic. You may even be as confused as I am. One book says worship is a battle. Other one says worship is peace. Some say worship is breakthrough. Others say worship is acceptance. Worship is his presence. Worship is your purpose. It is a very confusing cultural moment in society regarding worship. Every month, new artists and new songs are being released. New ideas on the contours of worship. It's a free marketplace of ideas, and there are many thoughts and considerations about worship, but they are not all correct. Furthermore, worship is something that we, as a church body, have strong opinions about. Worship is too loud, worship is too modern, worship is too boring, worship is not in the right language, worship is not being led by the right person, worship did not touch me today. As pastors, we are always astounded at how many opinions there are about worship. Church, we live in a consumeristic, materialistic world, and my fear is that we are bringing that kind of thinking and posture into our church. The church has to make worship attractive, energetic, positive, uplifting, personal, and amazing, all while being scrutinized around the world. Church has to be simultaneously meeting the needs of the young and the old, the hymn singer, the hillsong singer, the Malayalam singer, the English singer, the contemplative, the charismatic, the thumbar, and the drum set, all have to work together. One person will come up to me after church and be mad at me that we have not sung, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart while carrying anger in his heart. The other person is mad at me that we have not raised a hallelujah while raising their fist at me. It's a very confusing cultural moment regarding worship. As pastors, I will confess that we are sometimes so worried about your preference because we want to gain your attention so that you will worship. But what if worship is not for you? What if worship is not your preference and it's not about your attention and that's not what matters? While looking through some old pictures, I found this picture of my dad's uncle, uh, my, my dad's brother, my uncle. Uh, and he was cutting a birthday cake. This was like early 80s. My uncle was sitting at the table, and he was smiling. There's a huge cake in front of him. Uh, And everyone looked like they were about to sing happy birthday. On either side of my uncle was my cousin and myself. It was clear that neither of us were singing. Our attention was firmly placed on that cake. We did not care whose name was on that cake. We did not care that they were singing. Our eyes were fixed on eating that cake. My cousin, if you actually look at that picture, I should have brought it. 
Uh, her tongue is actually sticking out, you know. Uh, my eyes are bulging out, and I'm actually holding my stomach. Oh, it's so obvious why we are there. Again, we did not seem to care that it was a celebration for my uncle. We came to that table for cake. This is how we come to church. The chief guest is Christ. The celebration is for him. We even put his name on everything, and the singing is for him. But we come to church like two chubby little children, standing on the left and right of Jesus Christ, staring at the beauty, waiting to devour everything for ourselves. It is not about God. It is not about his presence. It's not about his name. It is all for us. What kind of celebration is this? It is selfish. It is self-centered. It is childish. Church, we need to grow up. We are not here to fight for your attention. We are here because God's attention is here. His presence is here. And his presence changes everything. You are not the primary audience of worship. God is the audience of worship. We are participants in that worship. Here is the most important idea, the main idea for today. God's attention is connected to our intention. Why have you come here today? What is your intention? There are several moments in the gospel that get Jesus' attention. It is not singing, let me tell you. But it is worship. And I am fascinated by Jesus' personality in the gospels. What gets Jesus' attention? The son of the living God is walking on the face of the earth. What gets his attention? It would be appropriate for us to study these passages as it will give us the contours of worship. God's attention is connected to our intention. Let's look at these texts together. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read from 9 through 17, and then I'm going to take you to Luke 21. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like all these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The next vignette, verse 15. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jump with me to Luke 21, verse 1 through 4. Luke chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her own poverty, put all that she had to live on. This is Luke's perspective on the things that grab Jesus' attention. 
These texts tell us two important things. Number one, humility gains God's attention. Humility gains God's attention. Number two, obedience gains God's attention. Obedience gains God's attention. The main point today is God's attention is connected to our intention when we come to church. Church, would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning? Would you allow him to let you ponder and think about why you came to church? Remember, they say about the church that we are a people of praise, that we are a house of worship, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. May that be true of us as we go through these texts. Amen. First, humility gains God's attention. First, Jesus uses this parable to create a great contrast. He contrasts the Pharisee and the tax collector, and it is incredibly striking as you study the parable. Both men go up to the temple to pray. In Jewish custom, prayer is done communally, so it is a communal time of worship. Both men went to worship. Both men, if you know the historical context, they see the altar. They see the communal sacrifice for their sins. They hear the silver trumpets playing. They can experience incense filling the air. The priests are performing their rituals. During the solemn time of sacrifice and celebration, you can see directly into the hearts of both of these men. The Pharisee stood by himself. So that he would not be made unclean by the others that came to worship. He compares himself to others and he proclaims his own self-righteousness. He shares aloud. I love this. He is pray- this is, you know how when people pray, you can tell they're not really praying to God. They're praying that other people hear them. Like, he starts to pray his own religious practices out loud. I fast twice a week, God. I tithe all that I have, God. This is actually more than what God has asked for in Jewish custom. This is more, way more. Anyone that heard him would be so impressed. He is so righteous. He is double, triple, quadruple righteous. He is amazing. Essentially, his worship unto God was his self-advertisement. This is basically equivalent to an ancient Near East selfie. He took a selfie in the presence of God. He took a selfie in the presence of God. Just think about that for a moment. In contrast, the tax collector also stood away from everyone else. But instead of the front, he goes to the back. He is aware that he is not even worthy to be there. And he felt that his presence may distract others. He could not even look to heaven. Rather, he beat his chest and he cried out, God, have mercy on me. Actually, this word mercy is not the same word. Because you know in Luke chapter 18, you meet blind Bartimaeus who says, God, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy. This is not the same word. This word mercy is, God, make atonement for me. Make atonement for me. Help me get right again with heaven. In the ancient Near East culture, men do not typically beat their chest. It is typically what women do at funerals. Only during the most desperate times do men participate in this. The tax collector is seeing the worship, the sacrifice, the priest, the aroma, the trumpets. But he wonders, am I worthy to join? Who will atone for me? He's basically asking this question, who will be a priest for me? Who will make a sacrifice 
for me. I am so unworthy. Little did he know that the storyteller was the very Lamb of God, the very high priest of heaven, more than ready to atone for him. For this tax collector, in the time of worship, his main focus was Jesus as the main character to honor and to worship. Jesus was who this tax collector was longing for in worship. His worship was Christocentric. As you hear the parable, there's a small trick here. I know most of you are thinking of it, thinking because we're all Malayali, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, oh, pastor, don't worry. I'm not like that Pharisee. You see, here's the great trick of this parable. The moment you say that, you have become the Pharisee. By making the comparison, by making the comparison in worship, you are creating separation and self-righteousness for yourself in the presence of God. You have become disgusting. I have become disgusting to God when we say, don't worry, I am not the Pharisee. Instead, our response to this parable should be, I will stand right next to the tax collector. I will say to heaven, Lord my God, please, even now, make atonement for me. Help me, Father. Help me. Make me clean because I can never do it by myself. Humility. Humility. Humility is a truthful view of God and an accurate view of self. It is a truthful view of God and an accurate view of self. This is how the next story explains what is happening, Luke's perspective on teaching. He leaves this cliffhanger and then moves right into a story of kids. When the children see Jesus, what do they do? They run to him, and parents bring their babies to Jesus, and Jesus loves it. The disciples try to rebuke and create an obstacle, an obstacle into God's presence. When the children see Jesus, they have to run to him. And the disciples create an obstacle for that love. But we can see Jesus rebuke the obstacle because there, in their embrace, in their embrace, Jesus' warm embrace, the kids hugging Jesus back, is an accurate view of self and a truthful view of God. Humility. Their smiling faces, their joyful open hearts, their innocent and humble posture before the living God in the flesh. He grabs Jesus' attention. The tax collector became childlike before God, and heaven saw him while he worshiped. I cannot save myself, Lord. I am unrighteous. I need you, Father. Childlike in the presence of God. However, the Pharisee became childish before God. He saw heaven and decided this was the best time to make an advertisement for himself. I can save myself, God. And my righteousness, actually, God, can be added to yours. Heaven sees that as childish. Be careful, church. How do we come into the house of God? Humility grabs heaven's attention, but your pride is a stench before God. James makes it clear. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Have you come here to gain everyone else's attention? Is, our, is Metro Church become so popular that it is a place for your selfies and your self-advertisements? Or did you come here to gain heaven's attention? 
so you can give God all the glory and the honor that he deserves. God's attention is connected to our intention. What is your intention this morning? Did you come with humility? Did I come with humility, Father? Did I come ready for selfies? Or did I come really for the presence of God? It makes all the difference in worship. Number two, obedience gains God's attention. Let's quickly get to Luke chapter 21. I want to quickly shift to the widow. This is an interesting moment that gains Jesus' attention. So let me set the context. Jesus and his disciples are at the temple. They happen to be standing near the treasury box. This is where people bring their offerings, okay, during worship. It seems that Jesus is interested in this location of the church. Jesus is observing families as they put their offering into the treasury. As the story plays out, Jesus watches the rich. And he sees their gifts. But he doesn't say anything. It's not worthy of remark. It is unremarkable. Then, a widow approaches. Immediately, lots of context for ancient Near East can be missed if you don't understand what is being said. Look carefully. A widow comes alone to the temple to worship. So, it can be assumed her husband is gone. Because she is alone, perhaps her sons are not either nearby or maybe they are gone as well. She comes alone to worship. Essentially, in this community, all of her communal, communal prestige and standing and reputation is gone because she has no husband or sons. The story tells us that she is also poor. Poor. Which means that most of her income and livelihood left with her husband's demise. We see a woman now beaten and downtrodden by a system of injustice. But she still comes to the temple to worship. She still comes to the treasury to make a gift to God. Can you admire the great resilience of this woman? A female in a patriarchal society. A widow in the ancient Near East culture. A poor person surrounded by the wealthy. An alone person surrounded by others' families. She is an outcast in every single way. But church, she comes anyway. She reaches out her hand, and out of her hand falls two copper coins. What is that? Nothing. Literally nothing compared to everyone else. Nobody should make a remark about this. But we notice what happens to Jesus. It made Jesus speak the word of God. We know him to be Logos. He was what was spoken and the world came into being. The word of God there in the flesh decided to speak when two copper coins came out. And what did Jesus say about it? This woman gave more than everyone else that came to the temple today. Scholars argue what was it that Jesus saw some of us would say sacrifice Jesus saw her sacrifice perhaps but I dare to say what Jesus saw at the temple was obedience when everything was stacked against this woman 
Nothing would stop her obedience to Yahweh God. Everything. She has every reason not to come to church. Every reason. But you cannot stop her obedience to Yahweh God. We are in a society such that any one of these obstacles would have stopped us from attending church. Or even giving anything to God. We could have said, like this woman, I am alone, I am poor, I am sad, I don't have status in the community. I mean, what am I saying? Our complaints aren't even this good. I mean, some of these I would agree with you. Yeah, you are, you are sad. But you can't even say that. This is the complaints that we as pastors get. Man, this auntie said this to me. I'm not coming to church. Man, oh, pastor, this young man at church, he treated me like this. I'm not giving anything today. I'm not worshiping today. Oh, pastor, my complaint is not against the church. It's about you. You did not do this. Or your wife did not do this. I'm not coming. I'm not worshiping. I'm not giving. I'm just going to stand here if I do come. <laughs> Bitterness and unforgiveness. It's like you drinking poison thinking something's going to happen to the rest of us. It's like you drinking poison and thinking you're going to do something to God. It's only killing you. Again, Jesus has nothing to say about what you're doing. You are, I am, unremarkable. Don't worry. All of our excuses for not coming to church, they don't get his attention. You may get our attention, but you ain't getting heaven's. My beloved church, may I offer another posture to come to church? Like this woman, even with heartache, even with hurt, even with every single obstacle, even with trouble happening at work, even with strife at home, even when they say things about you at church, even when they don't want you there, even when they talk bad about you, you still come to the house of God in obedience. The moment you open that front door with obedience, all of heaven's attention focuses on you. Other people are coming happy to church. You come with sadness to church because of your obedience. The Father's attention comes towards you. I'm telling you, when you have trouble in your life, the best thing to do is to actually come to church in obedience. You will see your life change because when you have heaven's attention, the presence of God in your family, it changes everything. If you do this, Jesus has something to say about you. You have grabbed Jesus' attention. You see, uh, one thing I like about Pentecostals is we like to be sacrificial. That's why many people like to interpret this passage as sacrifice. Because before God, we like to become overly big in our worship. Uh, but to God, we know. We know God. 1 Samuel 15. Obedience is much better than sacrifice. As Pentecostals, we like to be extreme. Extreme. But what if God is more gravitated to consistency? We like to be big and flashy in church. But what if God is more drawn to incremental honesty? God sees the little that you put in every single day than the grand moves you make one day a week. God loves obedience.
God's attention is connected to our intention. What was your intention coming to church today? Did you come with obedience, faithful, everyday, consistent obedience? Or did you come today to make a big, flashy, last-minute sacrifice? God is watching. God is watching me this morning. God knows our hearts. Reminds me of a quick story. Uh, I'm going to talk about this like it didn't happen, but it may have happened to me. Um, imagine getting into a fight with your parents. Big fight. You decide they've threatened to disown you. You've threatened to act like you don't care. You know. Big fight at home. Totally disobey them. You go off and do your own thing. You realize you made a big mistake. So you come home with a big sacrifice. You're like, Mom and Dad... I have bought you, and Dad, I've bought you a new suit, you know. And, you know, it's probably a suit that he wants. But let me tell you something. Your disobedience is so loud at home that he could never accept the sacrifice of a brand new suit. How loud is our disobedience in the house of God? That even your last-minute, last-ditch, lavish sacrifices, God's like, come on, man. I don't need a suit. I just need my son. We are a family when we come together. We are a family when we come together. God loves humility. God loves obedience. As the worship team comes up, I just want to say, church, there is a hymn that we used to sing called Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. Trust and obey. (laughs) Trust and obey. But we as... Pentecostals, we lead with suspicion and sacrifice. (laughs) Trust and obey. But we come with suspicion, suspicion of God, suspicion of our community. But then to make up for it, we move to sacrifice. But God is just asking, can we just trust and obey God? I would love to see our church, Metro Church, to be known not because we write beautiful songs or we have a great worship team, but we're just so faithful. Like every single day, we just bring our two coins before God. No matter what people do or say about us, we come and we worship God with what we have every single moment. So let's move into a time of worship, right? One of the great ways you can apply this message is in a few moments. Can we worship God honestly and genuinely? Can we come right now and say, repent before God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that I have come into your presence full of pride. I am so sorry that I want to take a selfie instead of look at your face this morning. I am so sorry that I have been disobedient in your presence. Humility and obedience gets the attention of heaven. That is the true heart of worship. Church, would you just say right now, would you open your heart and say, will you be honest and humble before God? Would you be willing to stand next to the tax collector and say, God, I need you to be my high priest. God, I need you to provide the lamb. God, I have no righteousness on my own. Are you willing to come with that kind of humility? Will you be obedient and consistent before God? Would you stand right next to the poor widow and put what you have before God? No matter what obstacles may come your way, no matter what they say about you, no matter how people might have hurt you, you still come into the house of God with what you have this morning because obedience is key to the heart of worship. Notice, church, that none of these stories are about singing. 
They are not about singing. They are about your heart. God is looking for childlike worship. Let's stop being childish before God. It's about Him. It's not about us. This is all for Him. None of it is for us. God, we thank you for your attention. And we return that great attention with our full attention back to the throne room. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship God. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.